So we're in a series called Following the King. And the title of today's message is Get Ready for Jesus. So if you can believe it, we haven't even, Jesus has not even spoke a word in this sermon series yet, okay? Up till Matthew 3, Jesus has still not spoken. Maybe there was a little like gurgles of baby Jesus in the birth scene or something. They weren't recorded, but uh, today we're in Matthew 3, verses 1 through 12. So why don't you follow along with me? In those days, John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judea. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. For the, okay, this is a really hard part of it to read. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. For this is he, speaking of John, who was spoken of by the prophet Isaiah when he said, the voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make his path straight. So, John the Baptist appears in the wilderness and he is saying, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And then Matthew says, John the Baptist is the guy who was spoken of by the prophet Isaiah when the prophet Isaiah said, the voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make his path straight. Now John wore a garment of camel's hair and a leather belt around his waist and his food was locusts and wild honey. Then Jerusalem and all Judea and all the region about the Jordan were going out to him. And they were baptized by him in the river Jordan, confessing their sins. But when he, John, saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees coming to his baptism, he said to them, you brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Bear fruit in keeping with repentance and do not presume to say to yourselves, we have Abraham as our father. For I tell you, God is, able to ra- God is able from these stones to raise up children for, a- for Abraham. Even now the ax is laid to the root of the trees. Every tree, therefore, that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. I baptize you with water for repentance, but he who is coming after me is mightier than I, whose sandals I am not even worthy to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand and he will clear his threshing floor and gather his wheat into the barn. But the chaff, he will burn with unquenchable fire. All right. So what we just read was, what the heck did we just read, right? Okay. (laughs) Here's what we just read. We just read, a summary and a description of the ministry of a man named John the Baptist. What we just read was Matthew telling an audience of people about the ministry and the message of John the Baptist. So imagine like if you're reading a book and you go to the back flap of it and you read about the author and you understand who this author is. And it says all the things they've done and where they studied and other books they've written. Um, this is what we just read about this guy named John the Baptist. So a really good question to ask right now is who is John the Baptist? Um, I'm gonna probably refer to him as JTB the rest of the service, okay? So who is JTB? Well, JTB is Jesus's mother's cousin's son. <laughs> John the Baptist was Jesus's mother's relative is what the word the Bible uses. So let's just say cousin, it's her son. 
So this makes basically John the Baptist and Jesus like distant cousins of sorts. And here's John the Baptist's story. He's older than Jesus and his parents um, had never gotten pregnant. They never had a child. His father's name, John the Baptist's father's name is Zachariah and his mother's name is Elizabeth. They're barren, meaning they haven't ever had children and they're old, okay? They're past the point of being able to. He's got a vasectomy, menopause has happened, okay? And look, if you thought circumcision was bad back then, you don't even wanna hear about vasectomies, okay, in ancient Israel. So an angel appears to Zachariah, he's a priest. An angel appears to him and says, you are going to have a child. You, 80-year-old man, 60-year-old man, 50-year-old man, whatever. The point being your wife, who's, who's as old as you, you guys are gonna have a child. So I want you to go home, sleep with her, make that happen. And this child is going to prepare the people of Israel to receive the Lord. What he's gonna do, this child, his role, his destiny is going to be um, preaching a message that causes people to turn their hearts towards God and therefore gets them ready to receive God when God comes on the scene. Now, lo and behold, uh, we all know that John the Baptist fulfills that destiny. <laughs> Isn't that pretty sweet? We actually get to see that's literally what John the Baptist did. John the Baptist had a ministry that prepared people to receive Jesus. And even maybe for like, here's a piece of Bible trivia, even maybe deeper than we think, Two of Jesus's, he, he prepared people in an even more profound, practical way than we think in that two of Jesus's 12 disciples, the guys that Jesus handpicked to train so that he, they could continue Jesus's ministry. You know, Jesus had a ton of disciples, but he had 12 that he particularly invested in so that they could continue his message and his ministry when he, went, when he died and when he left earth. Died, came back to life, and then, went, and then left earth. Um, two of these 12 followers of Jesus were actually first followers of John the Baptist, Andrew and Philip. They both were actually followers of John the Baptist before they started to follow Jesus. So literally two of the guys that perpetuated Christianity wouldn't have even perpetuated Christianity if John the Baptist hadn't come on the scene. Like John the Baptist was needed in human history so that Jesus could come, <laughs> okay? So really quick side note that I wasn't like, that should be inspiring to our role. Like we actually get used in God's plan. God actually wants to use you to accomplish his will. You saying no to God isn't gonna stop him from accomplishing his will. But you saying no to God or you not being obedient or you not discerning it or whatever is gonna make you lose out on being a part of the greatest thing of all time, which is God reaching people. So, um, What's tempting here is to kind of skip past this passage now and my sermon to end and to go to next week because like, great, John the Baptist prepared a, a people in, his, in a historical moment to receive Jesus. But my prayer and what I wanna to propose to you guys is that if we will receive John the Baptist's message, it'll actually prepare our hearts to receive Jesus. It'll prepare our hearts that if you're in this room and you don't know Jesus, you've never said, hey, I'm gonna follow this man who died and rose from the dead and healed everyone and is actually God, then I believe that this message can be part of your journey in making that decision to begin to follow Jesus. And if you're in this room and you're, you have um, 
kind of like backslidden in your faith and you're not actively following Jesus anymore, then this message this morning, not my message, but John the Baptist's message, can inspire you to re-surrender your life, to rededicate your life to Jesus. And if you're an on-fire believer in this room, you're just running after it, you know, you're, you're down front hopping and bouncing during worship, this message can convict you to re-surrender whatever you need to surrender and to humble yourself and to say, I've, I can never coast, I can never say I'm there, I can never get enough revelation, I can never um, have enough intimacy with God, I'm re-surrendering this morning to go after Jesus afresh and again. So Lord, I pray that you would do that. God, I pray that you would do that. Make our hearts so sensitive to you. I pray that we would live lives weeping when we think about you, Lord. Unlock our emotions to engage with you, God. Unlock our hearts to prioritize you above everything else in life, constantly. And I thank you, Lord, that it's your work towards us that does this. So just put your hand on your heart and just say, I receive. I receive, Lord. I put myself in a posture of receiving from you all my life. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so here's the problem. We have to actually decode JTB's message, right? Because <laughs> you read this and you're like, broods of vipers, axes, roots, kingdom of heaven. What? <laughs> what is going on here, right? So let's decode it. Let's unpack it. Let's interpret it and see then more clearly what it would mean for us today and how it would, how it would apply to our life, all right? So there's basically four questions I want to answer in order to do this. Um, number one, who is John the Baptist? We've already done that. What is the kingdom of heaven? Why was JTB baptizing people? And then what is the theology behind his message to the Pharisees and the Sadducees? Like, it's not like John the Baptist was just like, hmm, what am I going to say to them? I'm just going to rip him a new one, you know? No, like he was speaking from a theological perspective, from a, a belief about what was truly to happen based off of what the prophets had spoken um, who came before him. So there's, there's actually strong theological implications that we need to learn and we need to know about that are behind John the Baptist's message to the Pharisees and the Sadducees. So let's start with the kingdom of heaven, okay? What is the kingdom of heaven? Now, this is like the most important thing to understand in the entire Bible. <laughs> okay, like literally, if you, this is the lens that we are supposed to put on our face and then read scripture so that it makes sense and so that we understand it. Obviously, the most important thing to understand is Jesus loves you and wants a relationship with you, okay? But even that message can be reduced to what's, in my opinion, pathetic <laughs> if you don't understand the kingdom of God. I'm just gonna say something. The gospel of Jesus died for your sins so you can go to heaven, I think that's pathetic compared to the, the breadth of the gospel that Jesus preached and that he wants all of us to apprehend and that he wants us to preach and that he wants us to live out. And you know how I know that? Because Jesus literally never said, I'm gonna... That wasn't the gospel Jesus preached, <laughs> you know? He, he came and who, who teaches us the gospel? Jesus, right? Well, he hadn't even died yet. So did Jesus bring the gospel or not? Like, did, do we only need Jesus to just 
Um, can we just skip everything in the gospels up to his death? No, like that's actually important and it actually informs us. So the kingdom of heaven is how we understand Jesus's message. When we understand the kingdom of heaven, we'll be able to understand Jesus's message. When we understand the kingdom of heaven, we'll be able to understand the Old Testament. When we understand the kingdom of heaven, we'll be able to understand the rest of the New Testament writings. So let me give some qualifiers here. First of all, the kingdom of heaven and the kingdom of God are the same thing, okay? Kingdom of heaven and kingdom of God are the same thing. There's, there's four different guys who wrote about Jesus' life that we trust their accounts of his life. There's other people that did it too. We just don't trust them. But Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, those ones we trust, and they all talked about this thing called the kingdom of God a lot. Well, Matthew, he was writing to a Jewish audience and Jews didn't like to say the name God. So I believe that Matthew chose to say kingdom of heaven so that he could meet people with his message and they wouldn't just trip over his message immediately. It's like if you're trying to minister to someone and you know that something that's not a deal breaker is offensive to them, you probably shouldn't lead with that. <laughs> okay, like, so he's being culturally sensitive for the sake of the gospel is what Matthew is doing by saying kingdom of heaven. Now, the kingdom of God, I wanna tell you four things that it is not, okay? So that we can get these out of our head. Number one, the kingdom of God or the kingdom of heaven is not the church. That is not the kingdom of God. Um, all of the church is in the kingdom of God, but not all of the kingdom of God is in the church, okay? The kingdom of God is bigger than the church. It's not, an, the kingdom of God is not an institution. The kingdom of God is not a country, that's kind of obvious, right? We all know that. But it's not a geographical location. Maybe we actually need to know that more in America. <laughs> Let's be honest, okay? Like, yeah. Um, the kingdom of God is not solely a spiritual reality. This is a temptation, is to, is to discount God's desire to impact the here and the now. And just say the kingdom of God is just totally within us, is just forgiveness, and it's just... Um, whatever else, it's just all metaphysical, ethereal, conceptual, existential. Like, no, the kingdom of God is actually tangible. And then lastly, the kingdom of God is not solely a future reality, all right? The kingdom, of, we're not waiting for the kingdom of, okay, we are waiting for the kingdom of God to come, but the kingdom of God has also already come in Jesus. So we are waiting for the kingdom of God to come. But the kingdom of God actually has already come. Jesus said, if I cast out demons by the spirit of God, you know the kingdom of God is in your midst. So that means the kingdom of God was there during Jesus' ministry. When we do the works and the words of Jesus, when we operate in his will, the kingdom of God is there. Okay, so I've told you what the kingdom of God is not. It's not the church, it's not a country, it's not a spiritual internal reality, and it's not solely a future reality. So when we hear this phrase, kingdom of God, I think we get tripped up on like, our modern conception of the word kingdom. And we kind of, we, we uh, maybe think of the United Kingdom or we think of like a government or like a geopolitical state, but that's missing it too. And we kind of just immediately miss what this word means, kingdom of God. This phrase kingdom of God means because of some of our modern um, understandings. So let's look at how Jesus defined the kingdom of God. Turn with me to Luke 19. Luke 19, and we're not going to read this whole parable, but Luke 19, verse 11. 
As the disciples heard these things, Jesus proceeded to tell a parable because he was near to Jerusalem and because they supposed that the kingdom of God was to appear immediately. So really quick, that verse, what it just said was, Jesus told this parable just to help them understand what the kingdom of God was. Just help them understand the very nature of what the kingdom of God was because they didn't, they didn't understand. The disciples didn't understand. He said, therefore, so Jesus said, therefore, now he's gonna tell a story, a parable. A nobleman went into a far country to receive for himself a kingdom and then return. Calling 10 of his servants, he gave them 10 minas and said to them, engage in business until I come. But his citizens hated him and sent a delegation after him saying, we do not want this man to reign over us. When he, the nobleman, returned, having received the kingdom, he ordered the, these servants to whom he had given the money to be called to him that he might know what they had gained by doing business. All right, so we have the nobleman and he's leaving the, the country and the place that he is currently like in charge of to go receive a kingdom. Now, before he leaves, he gives out sums of money to 10 of his top leaders and says, hey, keep the country running basically while I leave. Here's money, keep things going, keep, keep things prospering here. Now, when he leaves, a third character in this parable enters the story, and that is his citizens. And they send a delegation, they say, hey, we don't want you to reign over us. So then he comes back and, and it says this, when he returned, having received the kingdom. So this is the key, um, this is the phrase right here that should like illuminate us to understand that he's not talking about going to receive a country. He's going to receive the right to rule the country. He already had the, the place. He just didn't have the official legal right to rule that country. And so when we hear kingdom of God, we shouldn't be thinking of land or the way that he rules, but the activity of ruling itself. When we hear kingdom of God, we're thinking of the rule of God. We're thinking of the rule of God. Now, I know this is complex, so just bear with me here, okay? And I'm gonna, I think as I continue, it's gonna make more sense. But when we look back at John the Baptist's message, he's saying, change the way you live, change the way you think, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. He's saying, change the way you live and think because God's rule is becoming present again. God's rule is becoming present again. Think, this is like a crude analogy. It's not gonna work, not crude in terms of sexual, but crude in the sense of not great um, analogy, but just kind of roll with me here. Like think about when you buy a house, you know, you've maybe, the, the money's been wired. You've signed all kinds of contracts. I mean, a million, it sucks how many things you have to sign. And the house still isn't yours. The house isn't yours until closing. Closing is then when you like have received rulership, if you will. Like up until you close, there's somebody else living in your house. <laughs> but after you close, you are then the ruler of that house and you actually get to go occupy it. So when we think of kingdom of God, it's, it's in that vein of thinking. It's 
We, it's the God's rule, God ruling. Now let's, um, what, what maybe can trip us up here is, well, hasn't God always been ruling? Like who came in this morning and was like, God's always been ruling, right? Like that's a very fair thought to have, but I don't think it's right. And to really see, to, something that helps me grasp the whole kingdom of God concept more is to start at the beginning of the biblical story. All right, so let's just rewind really quick. I'm not gonna finish this message, but let's get the kingdom of heaven in our heads, all right? Let's get a, let's get a step forward as a church body in understanding, and I'm not saying that everyone here doesn't understand it, but let's take a step forward and understand what is the kingdom of heaven? What is the kingdom of God? What does that mean, the rule of God? So let's start at the beginning. Creation, who created the earth? Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, God, he created it. Now, what does he do? He gives Adam and Eve, he gives humanity dominion over the earth. He makes them in his image. So they're supposed to represent him and they're supposed to rule the earth. So there's two really important things to take away from this. Well, he, okay, so he gives them dominion and he gives them a mission. He says, I want you to spread the garden of Eden. I want you to fill and subdue the whole earth. Spread where you are over across the whole earth. He gives them dominion and a mission. He gives them rulership and a mission, something to direct their rulership at. So three key conclusions from this, what I just said, that he gave them dominion and rulership. Number one, God was the ruler because you can't give rulership away unless you have it, okay? So God was the inherent ruler of the earth when he created it. Now here's where it's, this is what's incredibly important to catch. God gave up a portion of his active rule of earth to Adam and Eve. God gave up a part, a portion of his active rule of the earth to Adam and Eve. He didn't give up his ability to rule. He just gave up the activity of ruling. Does that make sense? Remember, the kingdom of God is the rule of God. So right from the beginning, God's destiny, God's intention for earth is that humans would rule the earth. And remember, humanity had an assignment. So God didn't give up his ability to rule. He gave up the activity of ruling. He gave it over to Adam and Eve. Now, the next thing that happens in this story is humans disobey God. They reject his rule. They eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Now, what I think, this is my opinion, what I think the tree of the knowledge of good and evil is symbolic of is life apart from the rule of God. That's all it represents. It represents what what the fact that the tree of knowledge of good and evil is there. What it tells us is God's not a control freak. He wants us to choose him. He's not just gonna make us robotically come after him, you know. He wants, he's given us free will to choose him. That's why there's two garden, two trees in the garden, so that we could make the choice. Are we going to seek God or are we going to disobey him? And secondly, what I think that tree is supposed to symbolize to us is life apart from God. That tree in and of itself is just, it, it's, it is um, rejecting God in the flesh. It is rejecting God in, incarnate. It is a material substance of rejecting God. Partaking in that tree is saying, I reject you, God. So when they reject God, it's pretty serious. (laughs) Um, And they not only, are you tracking with me? 
They not only reject God's influence, but they also embrace the serpent's influence. There's an enemy that inspires them to reject God's will and God's influence and God's rulership. And what I believe is at that moment, the devil got really confident. I think that was a huge confidence boost for the serpent. He was like, oh, sweet. Here we go. Here's my life mission. This is all I'm going to do now. I did it. I, I did it. I disrupted humans from obeying God. I didn't think I could do it. God made such amazing creatures. He's so stupid for giving them free will. Why did he do that? I influenced them. That's what I think the devil's thinking. And so he's like, my life mission now is to cause people to disobey God and to reject God. So what's the consequence of this disobedience? Death. It says in Genesis, on the day you eat of this tree, you shall surely die. Now it's our tendency or maybe our temptation or whatever to kind of be like, okay, death, spiritual death. They didn't, they didn't actually die. Like obviously they didn't die, right? You know, like, well, did they or not? <laughs> Is the word of God right or am I right? You know, like clearly a, um, a physical death didn't occur. They didn't, their hearts didn't stop beating and oxygen stopped going to their brain. That's not what happened. But also I want to tell you this. I don't think a spiritual death is really an accurate way to say it either. Because to me, like what spiritual death means is they could no longer commune with God. Except all throughout the Old Testament, people commune with God. <laughs> okay? So like, I don't think it's really fair to say a spiritual death happened either. What I want to say is this, and this isn't perfect, okay? I think that what's, what's trying to be taught to us here is life equals God's way. That's what life is. Life is not breathing. Life is not being happy. Life is not your heart beating. Life is God's way. Death is all other ways. <laughs> so they chose all other ways. They chose death. And we see huge consequences for the whole earth here. Death enters, but check it out. Later on in Genesis, God says, hey, I'm gonna limit the, the, how long humans can live. So that's when he institutes the physical death. That's when he institutes our heart stopping and all that stuff. Um, but at this disobedience, death, remember how I'm defining death, life outside of God's rule, life outside of God's will, the rejection of God. Death enters humanity. And then also my friend Putty points this out that I think is really astute that they took the sin inside of them. So there was something that they, they didn't just sin outwardly, but the sin became, in, it, it actually infected the inside, their, their, their very makeup as human beings. Like this tree wasn't just a natural tree, right? This was a supernatural tree. So it had the ability to affect more than just your digestive system. This tree had the ability to affect everything about you to your very core, your very nature. It messed with their nature. And then lastly, they empowered the serpent. Death enters the world. Sin enters humanity and the serpent is empowered. So what we should take from this right now is that God has an enemy. God and humanity now at this point in the story have an enemy on earth. Death, the serpent, and sin. So we, it doesn't take long to be reading the Bible, to realize that the rule of God is not happening on earth, right? 
Remember, the kingdom of God is the rule of God. Um, spiritual beings come and have sex with humans. Humans disobey God and build this tower to uh, try and make themselves gods. Like all this chaos and horrible wickedness is, not, is, is being um, perpetuated on earth to the point that God floods the whole earth. All of this is leading us to the conclusion that the kingdom of God was not ruling the earth. The kingdom of God was not ruling the earth. Does that make sense? So why is this important? Because this is the core of John's announcement. John's announcement is the kingdom of heaven is at hand. <laughs> the kingdom of God is coming back. Another way to say it would be, and this is N.T. Wright, God is becoming king again. That's the announcement of John the Baptist. And that's actually the same gospel Jesus preached. When you heal the sick, God just became king right there. When you forgive someone who um, offended you, God became king in that situation. When you use your finances with generosity and wisdom, God is king right there. The kingdom of God has come in that circumstance. When COVID kills someone, God has not become king right there. That is representation of the serpent's influence and sickness and the fallenness influence. The political divisiveness in our country, that is an example where God is not king. Abortion, God is not king. Sex trafficking, God is not king. Anyone in this room who has not forgiven someone, God is not king of that part of your life. I recently, I love to vape, okay? I'm just gonna out myself, all right? I like to vape. And I was like, man, God is like, the, the amount of vaping I do, God's not king in this part of my life. So I texted my wife, I was hunting, I was like, throw my vape away. She's like, are you sure? I was like, do it. <laughs> so now I put boundaries in place and I, just, I have a certain times where I'll vape because I enjoy to do it. But I realized that man, God's not king of my life right here. So I need to make him king of my life right here. This is the message that John the Baptist preached. God is becoming king again. Will you guys stand up? I have a lot of good things to say about baptism. I really wanted to preach about judgment. <laughs> Maybe I'll do like a Facebook Live or something to finish my message. <laughs> but let's just pray, okay? And we're gonna go over just like one minute. Because what I felt like God said we're supposed to do right now is you're supposed to end, I felt this earlier before the service, we're supposed to take a moment of silent contemplation for you to hear from God or you just to hear from yourself what you're supposed to do with everything you just heard. I'm not gonna give you practical takeaways. Sometimes that's good to do, but sometimes you need to decide what you're gonna do with it. And you need to hear from the Spirit what you're gonna do with it, okay? So Lord, would you speak to us? In light of the fact that you're present and you're becoming king again and the kingdom of heaven is at hand, what would you have us do? In light of Jesus becoming king, we all want to submit to that, Lord. What would you have us do?
All right, Father, I thank you for everyone in this room. I pray that uh, they would get some clarity from you right there. Give us grace to obey you. Give us grace to receive your love. I just pray for amazing devotional times this week for everyone in the room that they just wake up in the morning with your love being poured onto them and that they uh, pursue you in everything they do and they bring your kingdom everywhere they go. Holy Spirit, fill us with power to continue your rule and to announce and to demonstrate God is becoming king in Jesus' name, amen.